Audrey Hepburn now welcomes you to Rome as the captive princess who goes out on the town to have some fun with Greg as the bewildered bachelor who winds up with a royal blush. This is very unusual. I've never been alone with a man before, even with my dress on. With my dress off, it's most unusual. Yes, it's the real lowdown on Her Highness when she turns into a pixie on the prowl, letting her hair down all the way to find the kind of forbidden excitement she's always longed for. Tell you what, why don't we do all those things? Together. But don't you have to work? Work? Now, today's gonna be a holiday. And what a holiday, a Roman holiday, when all the things happen you'd always hoped for on the happiest day of your life. Fun on the run, as the princess gives Greg a regal and highly illegal scoot around. And you'll be there to share the excitement of the wildest escapade that ever set the Eternal City on its ear. to the Film and Water Podcast, proud member of the Fine Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me this week to talk about the classic Roman Holiday starring Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn is the better half of the Supermates podcast, Cindy Franklin. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Yes, I'm very excited. I love this movie. This is a terrific movie. This is the kind of movie that they talk about when they say they don't make them like this anymore. This is one of exactly. those movies. <laughs> this is one of those movies. Uh, as I mentioned, it stars Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn. Uh, this movie is... Shouldn't that actually be the other way, Audrey Hepburn? It Hedlund really should be, Peck? yes. And we, we'll mention that in a moment of, in terms of the, the billing of this movie. Uh, the, a lot of people I've seen refer to this movie as Audrey Hepburn's first movie. It's not. She actually did five no. or six movies before this, but they were all roles like Shop Girl and, you know, girl, mm-hmm. fifth girl from the left. This was her first big starring role, and this was the thing that made her into Audrey Hepburn, uh, because this... I think one- where that misnomer comes from is where it actually says, and introducing Audrey Hepburn, so it really makes it look like it might be her first role. Right, exactly, yeah. I mean, I think this is her first American film, because the other stuff, is like, she's in the, the Lavender Hill Mob, the great movie with uh, Alec Guinness, but again, she's got a tiny role, so I think she did a lot of British films, but this was her first big... Hollywood movie. She won an Oscar for it yeah. for best for best actress right out of the gate, right? Uh, which is pretty remarkable. Uh, the plot is 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 as such. Overwhelmed by her suffocating schedule, a touring European princess Anne Audrey Hepburn takes off for a night while in Rome. Well, a sedative she took from her doctor kicks in. However, she falls asleep on a park bench and is found by an American reporter, Joe Bradley, played by Gregory Peck, who takes her back to his apartment for safety. At work the next day, Joe finds out that Anne's regal identity and bets his editor that he can get an exclusive interview with her, but romance soon gets in the way. And helping him in this uh, 
in this uh, deception is his artist uh, photographer pal uh, Irving Radovich, played by Eddie Albert, who's really really funny in this mm-hmm. movie. So, Cindy, why did you want to talk about this movie? Mm-hmm. Why do you love it so much? I've always loved Audrey Hepburn, um, but the biggest reason I love Roman Holiday is it's not a fairy tale. It is not a happily ever after, and you really don't see that, especially, I mean, you automatically think, oh, it's a princess. It's going to end up all sunshine, roses, rainbows, and puppies, and it doesn't, and that's one of the reasons I love the movie. It's just it's not your typical fairy tale. Yeah, this movie is atypical in, in a lot of ways. I mean, first of all, it's the first comedy, really, that Gregory Peck had ever done. Uh, he's got a very mm-hmm. very light touch. Uh, apparently, this this was originally offered to Cary Grant, and he turned it down because he didn't want to... He felt he was too old for Audrey Hepburn, right. which is funny enough because they did a movie together 10 years later where they are romantic partners, so obviously he got over that I idea. I believe it's called Charades. Yeah, Charade, yeah, funny. which is a terrific movie, but it's you can totally see Greg, uh, Cary Grant in this. But Gregory Peck is is great here. He's got a light touch, mm-hmm. uh, and he had come off a bunch of very heavy movies, as had the director, who is William Wyler, one of the great, great film directors of all time. He had directed uh, The Best Years of Our Lives, the returning back from World War II veterans movie, which is, to me, one of the best movies ever made. And he wanted to do something light. Uh, this was written by uh, a guy named John Dighton, who I'm unfamiliar with, and Dalton Trumbo, the famous blacklisted exactly, yes. screenwriter. And... This, the, this was one of those movies where all these different elements came together right at the right time because, again, uh-huh. the movie was originally supposed to be directed by Frank Capra. And when he found out right. that uh, Dalton Trumbo was involved, he wanted nothing to do with it because Frank Capra was very conservative. And he had heard the communist rumblings about uh, Dalton Trumbo. And the, red, nothing, you know, grind, red the red scare, scare stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted nothing to do with it. So it got shuffled off to another director. That director turned it down. It, it ended up in William Wyler's lap. Wyler himself was sort of being circled a little by the House on American Activities Committee. And he wanted to get the hell out of the country for a while. So he insisted, I'm going to make this movie in Rome. He didn't want to make it on the Hollywood backlot because he wanted it to be – he wanted Rome to be genuine. And so the studio said, well, if you're going to spend all the money to go to Rome, that's fine, but you've got to shoot it cheap, which means black and white. And you have to get a no-name person to be the princess. And mm-hmm. enter Audrey Hepburn. Uh, talk about right, the most fortunate right. piece of casting you're ever going to find. Is, is, you know, you're I mean, you think somebody. about that. Those three things are just kismet. I mean, the fact that it was shot on location, the fact that it was in black and white, and the fact that it's Audrey Hepburn. And, uh, well, and there's a fourth thing, that it was Gregory Peck in lieu of Cary Grant. I mean, those four things, they came together and formed just this wonderful piece of Americana history, um, film history. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it really is amazing. And Rome... You know, I don't know if if travelogues work in movies anymore because the world is so much smaller now. People, you know, you can see any part of the world really via YouTube or via you know any via your phone at this point. But this film, you know, was showing uh, a part of the world that a lot of people hadn't seen. You know, th- I mean, this this movie right. is really a wonderful commercial for Rome. Rome seems like a paradise here, like the Quiet Man is for Ireland. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely true. I mean, it just seems oh, they go to a bunch of different uh, places here. They go to there's this great scene at the mouth of truth, 
uh, which is mm-hmm. this uh, relic where it's this big stone face. It's really it's like something out of an Indiana Jones movie. And the idea is, it is you, no, you put your you could put your hand in it, and you know you're risking whether it gets bitten off or not. And Audrey, he asks Anne, put your hand in there. And she puts her hand in there, and of course nothing happens. And then he puts his hand in and fakes it getting bitten off. And exactly. And and the, oh, I'm ahead. sorry. Go ahead. I bet you were getting ready to say the t- same anecdote I was yeah, that he, actually he, faked that. Yeah. Yeah, he fakes his hand being missing. And apparently he didn't tell Audrey Hepburn he was going to do that. So her shock of laughter is genuine. It was a, she really mm-hmm. was shocked by that. And it's a really very charming sequence because it's, it's, they're, they're flirting very heavily, but it's so cute and so warm that, again, you really can't help but really love these two. They really are. You're rooting for them to be together, even though through the whole movie he's deceiving her about who he is. Exactly, exactly. I mean, and it, it's one of these things that <sighs> Cary Grant, he is always – and, you know, when you think about Cary Grant, he's supposed to be the nice guy. But with Gregory Peck, because he had a harder screen personality, he you could buy him being the guy that, you know, she was not going to sleep in his bed. He tossed her butt onto the couch. You that's know, right, yeah. <laughs> he wasn't, you know, all nice. And I'm like, oh, that's so awful. But that's really true. And until he finds out she's the princess, He's like, oh, this is just some little drunk girl that I'm just going to take care of. But, you know, but as soon as he finds out she's the princess, oh, here, I'm going to move her back to the bed before she wakes up. So, <laughs> Now, what is it about Audrey Hepburn? Because, I mean, I don't know anyone, especially any woman who doesn't love Audrey Hepburn. I, I mean, it's just she's universal. It's like an Adele song. It's just universally beloved. Everybody loves Audrey Hepburn. I honestly think it's a strength of character, and I think if you have written, excuse me, read anything about her personally, her own upbringing comes through. She went through World War II. She has that um, up, that upper crust veneer, which is actually very real. Her mother was a baroness, and she grew up in money to start with, but then during World War II, I mean, she actually baked her own bread. She gave uh, ballet performances to bring money. She worked as a nurse um, in World War II hospitals. I mean, she was one of these women that she did what she had to do, but you know what? She didn't ask for any favors based on the fact of who she was. And that, I mean, she went on and became a humanitarian. One of, one of her most uh, famous quotes that is attributed to her is the first hand to look at when you're looking for a handout is look at the one at the end of your own arm. And with your other hand, that is to help others. So that is something that I think she li- truly lived her life by. That's a beautiful quote. I've never heard that. That's a, that's a really mm-hmm. wonderful thing to, to hear. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she yeah, really I mean, is. she gave that speech for uh, UNICEF. It was part of a UNICEF speech. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she she is luminous in this movie. And Gregory Peck, who was a big, big star at this point, and again had done mm-hmm. a lot of dramas. He uh, realized apparently after having, you know, shot the film for a while, he originally was going to be Gregory Peck over the title, and then right, guess, right. you know Audrey Hepburn would have been second below the title, and he apparently realized she is the star of this movie. She is going to be it. And he told uh-huh. the studio, you need to put her on the billing equal with me. Otherwise, I'm going to look stupid 
because the movie is so about her, and they went and did that. Exactly. And, and the movie is billed as, you know, Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn and Roman Holiday. And later on, Audrey Hepburn said that was the, the single greatest act of kindness she'd ever been given in Hollywood, that he was so un, uh, unegocentric that he was willing yes. to share the billing with a relative unknown. Exactly. And I mean, you, you think about that. What kind of good guy was he? And I mean, honestly, from all intents and purposes and what I have read, I don't think you would have seen that same behavior from Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to say that. I mean, he was a very affable on screen presence, but I don't know if he would have done that himself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, I see that. Yeah. I mean, Gregory Peck, from what I heard, was was, was a tremendously nice guy. He was the head of the Screen Actors Guild for a while. I mean, just, and very mm-hmm. devoted to the social causes and things like that. And the said, he, he realized, you know, he, he could see this person was just breaking out big. I mean, there's a long scene where Joe and Anya go on a scooter ride through Rome mm-hmm. and they run afoul of the police because they're just completely ignoring all the traffic laws and stuff. And it really, and it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's intercut with clearly uh, stunned people uh, because there's some mm-hmm. long shots where you know that they're not risking the lives of Gregory Peck and Andrew Hepburn, but it's, it's put together so well. And it's really beautiful. It's a really funny, cute, adorable scene. And then they get arrested and they go, and there's a, it's a long silent scene where the cop is sort of berating them for what they're doing. And, they look sort of sheepish because, you know, they're kind of big Americans and they're, I mean, at least Gregory Peck is, and he's, they're going to get away with it. And they're, he's sort of scolding them, yeah. but, it, but he's more like a, a patronizing father because you just, how mad can you get at Audrey, at Audrey Hepburn? You really can't Audrey Hepburn, right. Yeah. There is no way. And I mean, the fact when, um, oh, my poor brain, the photographer, when he's looking behind him and he's trying to drive and he's, actually turned around in the little mini car and turned around taking pictures. And he's like, Oh wait, I better not drive into this building and turns back around. So yeah, Eddie Albert, Eddie, Eddie Albert is, thank you. I'm so sorry. He is, he is the quintessential supporting character in this movie. He's really funny. He's kind of like a hippie. He's a really, not really a beatnik, mm-hmm. I guess this was before hippie. So he's like a sort of proto beatnik. He's got a lot of, uh, you clearly, he's uh, sort of living the life. Uh, in Rome with mm-hmm. a lot of women, you get that sense that he's really oh, yeah. a lot of girls going around and he's kind of kind of like the beatnik beard. He's very, very funny in this movie. And uh, it's, he's on the poster. Uh, it's funny. I've seen in later releases, they sort of add him to the poster because I think they realize how popular he was. And there's this whole great sequence where they have uh, like a, like kind of like a brunch together. And every time, every time he... Irving comes close to, to letting, letting it slip that he knows who they are, Gregory Peck has to keep knocking him over with his chair. Knocking him over, spilling something on him. I mean, there was four different times just in that one scene that he gets something knocked over, and he thinks that, oh, it's just because he wants to be alone with her, but he's really just trying to get him to shut up about who she looks like. Right, yeah. And, I mean, over time, as Gregory Peck's character... Uh, Joe, you know, realizes that she is more than just a story. She, he's really fallen in love with her and that he does have sympathy for her because she doesn't, I mean, yes, she's a princess and you, you know, we see all the opulence that she lives in. I mean, this amazing castle and all this kind of, the, you know, the, all this stuff, but you do and truly feel, a gilded cage. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Because uh, you, I mean, her life is so regimented. She's never going to get a chance to do anything. Uh, she's just going to be shuffled from one thing on to the next. And so he eventually has to reveal what the, the, the truth of all this is because he can't bring himself to betray her and write the article the way he wanted. he's planning on writing it because 
he she's a person, you know. He realizes she is a person, mm-hmm. and he has f- completely fallen for her. And they do share a very sort of chaste kiss. Finally, uh, after they get chased by some goons at a restaurant, there's a whole scene there. And I love the goons in this movie. They are, like, right out of a 1940s film noir movie. They got these black hats, and they have these sort of, like, thin, reedy faces. Like, these guys are, these, these sort oh, of mean guys. You know, like, it feels so bad that they're, they, you know, it's like they have to, they're going to, you know, chase down Audrey Hepburn. Like, leave them alone, you jerks. Oh, I know. And then when, when they're coming off the plane, um, the general that's in charge of him, he's like, I told them planes close. Well, you know, they're all looked alike and everything else. And then when they go to the, when they finally find her and they go to the boat, you have one of them that is standing on the edge of the boat and he starts, you know, kind of with the music and he's snapping his fingers and the, you can tell the guy that's in charge. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. You know, you can't do that. And I'm like, uh, you're supposed to blend in. He's actually, you know, but heaven forbid they actually enjoy themselves, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, Rome really does look like, I mean, everything's out in the open air. All the restaurants are, like, open air. Like, I, I, I saw this movie, uh, I saw it decades ago, and I didn't remember much from it. And then a couple of months ago, they ran it on the big screen uh, as part of mm-hmm. Turner, Turner Classic Movies, like, you know, big screen events. And so then I went and saw it again, and it was like I had, never seen it because I really didn't remember much from it and boy you know really is just like this does look like a wonderful place to go visit I mean it just looks yes. fabulous everything is again everything's outside everybody's there's part there's the great scene where they go to the what's the wall that they go to with all the plaques on it oh gosh I forget the um, name of it they the go, wishing wishing wall or something like wish, that I think something that's wishes what it is. yeah they go to the wall where people have started to carve their wishes like on a plaque and then they place the plaque on the wall and that's a real Mm -hmm. after they've been given yeah yeah and you see this i mean the the damn thing is 20 feet high you know an entire Mm -hmm. city block long and they look at the it reminded me more than a bit of the before sunrise movies which are before sunrise is that first one is my all-time favorite movie uh and this this reminds me a bit of that and that it just has the william wyler allows you know he the plot comes in when it has to, but there's other parts where mm-hmm. he really just lets the two of them kind of wander and talk. And you, again, the chemistry these two have is, is really palpable. And it's really very sweet because you, you feel like you're sort of eavesdropping on these two people as they get to know one another. Right. I mean, and actually they have, it, in everything that I read, Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn were lifelong friends after this. So, it, it is one of those things that also speaks to her talent that not only did she win an Oscar for this, but she also won a Tony the, the same year for a Broadway play called Odin. So That's a hell of a year. Yeah, it is. And she is one of the few people to actually do that, especially within the same year. Yeah, wow. That's, jeez, uh, that's pretty amazing. I mean, there's that EGOT thing. That's She's already halfway there in her first, you know. Uh, she's got, yeah, a, got yeah. a, a Tony and an Oscar right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, she really is. And this, this she was a movie star after this and, and remained a movie star for the rest of her life because this just cemented everything about her. And so the, the movie, uh, you're talking about how it doesn't, it doesn't end typical typically for a fairy tale mm-hmm. is that she ends up going back to her life and then they reconvene uh, at when the princess is 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 they keep well, the cover story is that she's sick 
She's supposed to do this press conference, and her handler keeps saying, oh, no, she's ill, she's ill, she's ill. And then they finally say, okay, she's back, and she comes back. And she meets the photographers because she's there on a kind of goodwill thing. And one of the, one of the reporters is Joe. Uh, and uh-huh. he, they have to pretend that they don't know each other. And they have this wonderful moment together where they have to have this it's – it's an intimate moment, but it's in, it's in a room full of 500 people. Because she right, knows, right. she knows she, who he is. Yeah, she scripted it. You know, when they when she first sees him, you can see this look like, oh my gosh, what is he going to do? Is he going to reveal this now? You know, I thought he was my friend. You could see number one the shock, and then the disillusionment that is, oh my gosh, is he going to do this to me? And she even says, it's a you know, I hope that you know things remain confidential you know you she words it to where she's kind of saying please don't rat me out and he's saying oh we wouldn't do that you know he's like oh that wouldn't never happen you know things happen and after that reassurance you know normally at the end when everybody has asked she would exit the room and that would be it but she's like oh I want to greet all of the press and so they get to have that moment that last little goodbye so that was really wonderful. So yeah, they uh, when they when they meet at the end, he gives her the envelope full of uh, these pictures that her his buddy Eddie Albert had taken, and it was under the pretext of a generic memento of Rome. And then they make these statements where they're sort of they can't say what they really want to say to one another, mm-hmm. but she understands what he's saying, and he's sort of you know he's admitting I you know I he's not saying he loves her, but he's letting her know that and that he's not going to rat her out and he's gonna you know he's giving he's giving up all the stuff that the whole movie was driven towards was this interview and all the photographs and stuff right yeah and then so she ends up you know getting shuffled off to the next event and the movie ends with this very long shot of gregory peck all by himself in this Uh beautifully ornate room uh like it's uh it's not a castle i can't think of what kind of building it's like a huge building with the well it's I would assume it was the embassy. So. Oh, it's the embassy. You're right. You're right. It's the embassy. And it's this long tracking shot of Gregory Peck, and you just hear his footsteps, and he's there all by himself, and she's gone. And that's that's the end of the movie is the two of them are not going to get together, which right. is – Well, and the thing is, is – I mean, we were talking about – Chris and I were talking about this last night because I watched it again. And you think – you know, I think the reason they did that long shot is because – I wonder if he wasn't waiting for her. Maybe she will come to me. I'm not going to ask her to leave her life, but I'm going to wait just just in case. But then, you know, it ends with him walking away and her back, she back to her life and he back to his. So, yeah, it's 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 a very powerful and very sad ending for a movie that again, you would think that, again, you're talking about being a princess, you would think that they would uh-huh. get together at the end. Now, you said that's part of the reason you like this movie so much. What is it about that? Is that is that it's it's so unique? That and quite honestly, it's reality. It's what would actually happen. I mean, that is one of the things. I mean, I love to read romance novels and stuff like that, but then you also see there's the occasional book that'll come across that you're like, this is what would really happen. I mean, because everything is not all sunshine and rainbows and puppies. Hmm. It's just not. I mean, and that's what would really happen, and it's a beautiful thing. It's like in Bridges of Madison County with Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood. 
she makes the choice. She stays with her husband because that's the right thing to do. Just like Audrey Hepburn does in this, it's the right thing to do. He does the right thing. He doesn't rat her out. Eddie Albert, he gives her the photos. He could have made a fortune, but he goes along. He respects, you know, Gregory Peck's decision because he was going to sell the photos on his own without the story, but then at the press conference, he's like, no, he said he can't do this to her either. And I respect, you know, Eddie Albert's character just as much as I do Gregory Peck's character because, you know, Eddie Albert wasn't in love with her, but he did the right thing too. Is is that part of it too, is that these are people that basically do the right thing? And I don't think we necessarily Mm -hmm. see that much in movies nowadays of, of people doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Exactly. And I mean, Anymore, people do what's good for them, what makes them feel good, what's the big payoff, whereas with this movie, you do the right thing because it's the right thing. She goes back to her life of a gilded cage existence. He misses out on the big payday. And when I was watching this movie, I think one of the reasons Gregory Peck is in Rome to begin with is he's in in hawk to his editor. And yeah. I think that's the reason, you know, that, and he just put himself further in hawk, further staying in Italy that much longer because he wouldn't turn on Audrey Hepburn. And, you know, you did the right thing. Eddie Albert didn't have anything to gain by, you know, not publishing those pictures, but you know what? He did the right thing. He didn't want to, but he did. He still did the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there is something uh, about movies where people just do something decent that, to me, is very mm-hmm. powerful. And and when I saw the movie again in the big screen, and I was really, I didn't remember that that was the ending, and I was really like shocked. That that's how it ended. I was like, mm-hmm. wow, okay. But it really does feel very rewarding in that it's, yeah, he does the he does the right thing. I mean, Gregory, they set up a little that he's kind of a bit of a rapscallion, a little. I mean, clearly mm-hmm. the whole movie he's doing this thing to to fool. Her, but like, and this may be me kind of like adding backstory that isn't there. But I mean, I think about like, what is this guy doing in Rome in 1955? He's clearly American, so what is he doing right, there? Right, and right. then I think, is he there after the war? Like, is he a World War II veteran and he's just sort of never left? You know, I don't know. I mean, it, you get this the uh, Eddie Alberts character. I you figure just travels from place to place because he's a you know he's he's sort of this bon vivant and he has this you know. Right. Hip, hip studio and I mean, Italy, if he's an artist, you know, you go to Italy or you go to France or, you know, you go somewhere like that. You know, that's just what you do if you're an artist. So. Yeah. And I love the guy that plays uh, Gregor Peck's editor. Uh, he's very, mm-hmm. very funny because it's like they have a very, I think that's uh, Mr. Hennessy's played by a guy named Hartley Power, who I'm not familiar with. But he's very funny because he's kind of like the boss you would want. He 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 gives you kind of a he gives Gregory Peck a lot of a, a lot of grief, but he's more he's, he's nice, you know. He's kind of like a dad almost. He's just like he waves his finger at Gregory Peck a little, you know. He's like you got to do, you know. But he's you never really feel like he's gonna fire him or anything like that. There's a there's a kind of a warm no, relationship. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. There really is. It's very very sweet, and you know this worked out for everybody. It worked out for Gregory Peck too because apparently he met. He he was smarting over his divorce. He had just gotten a divorce before he made this movie, mm-hmm. and he ended up meeting a uh, Italian woman who, named uh, Vic Veronica, who ended up becoming his wife. 
his second wife. Right, and they were together till his death. Yeah. So many, they, many years. Yeah. So. so this worked out for everybody. It worked out for William Wyler because it was a big hit. It worked out for Audrey Hepburn. I mean, it was just one of those things where all the elements come together and everybody benefits from it. And what I also read, too, which is strange, that in the 70s, they approached Gregory Peck yes, and Audrey I Hepburn to do too. a sequel. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, what would have been the plot point for that? And I mean, Audrey Hepburn was approached as well, but it just didn't come to fruition. But I wonder what their plot would have been. How would that have shook out? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, she's not a princess anymore. I mean, I, I don't know. That would have been very strange. They know they never did another movie together, which is unusual considering how well mm-hmm. uh, they got along. And you mentioned that they stayed friends, and that seemed to be something uh, that traveled with Peck from movie to movie because he famously was friends with uh, the actress that played Scout on To Kill a Mockingbird until his death. They remained close friends. So he, right. people apparently really, you know, he was really beloved to a lot of people and really got along with very well. And he said, and this film just went on to be one of the big hits. You know, I said it was a big critical success, big financial success, and it put Audrey Hepburn on the map. And it made Gregory Peck into, it, it opened up, his ability, I mean, he went on to back, of course, to do a lot of great dramas continually. He did right. Mockingbird and the, the Man in the Green Flannel Suit and Gentleman's Agreement. But this opened him up to doing other things as well. And it, it said, it's just one of those things where everything came together, it worked, and everybody benefited. Well, and I think part of the reason that their paths didn't cross again in any other films was for the simple fact is though Audrey Hepburn is very well respected, um, and she was on Broadway and everything else. Um, she, her filmography is actually less than 40 films. And that was a personal choice that she made um, after she had children. She had several miscarriages, and she only had two sons that lived. And she made the choice that she retired, basically, from filmmaking. She was offered many roles over the years, but unless they were willing, basically, to bring the production to her, she didn't pursue those productions Um and so she does have a limited filmography, so there's just not that many films where they could have interacted. I get, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I remember I read that uh, they offered her The Exorcist. and mm-hmm. uh, they did. And she said, I'll do it if you can shoot it in Rome. And she was like, I, they, right. were like they were like, we don't want to shoot The Exorcist in Rome. So she passed on it. And thank goodness, because I don't, would not want to see poor Audrey Hepburn subjected to what no, Ellen Burstyn no, no, no. gets subjected to in The Exorcist. But, no, heavens no. And she ended up her, she ended her film career with a sort of a long, a, a small role in Steven Spielberg's Always. Always. Uh, mm-hmm. Playing an angel, uh, you know, sort of perfectly enough. And that's, that was her final film. And Gregory Peck, of course, mm-hmm. went on to a lot of other great, great things. But yeah, I mean, it's a, this is just like a wonderful, perfect little movie. Now, have you shown this to either one of your kids yet? I mean, this seems like something that, uh, that, that I, especially I think Danny would probably enjoy, right? Oh, I mean, Danny got to watch part of it. We started watching it late last night, and she fell asleep. But, you know, that was just simply because, you know, she's eight and couldn't stay awake because we got home late last night from other things that were going on. They had a Walking Dead Day festival in our hometown <laughs> yesterday. So, yeah. Uh, Andrew went to that. We did not because that's not Danny's bag, so we didn't go for that. But Andrew did, so we had to wait for him. So we got watching this but she really thought it was good and it was funny and she's like oh mommy she's so pretty so i thought you know straight from the eight-year-old's mouth that you know she's just so pretty and she is a isn't she a real princess i'm like no i said not really so you know so she thought she was really pretty and i actually have 
um, a Barbie doll was made based on Roman Holiday about really? two years ago. And I, yes. And I immediately bought that. It has her outfit where she has the white, um, the white blouse rolled up to her elbows, the khaki skirt with the pockets, the neckerchief around with the short haircut. And it is a beautiful doll. They made that. They made uh, around that same time. They also made the Sabrina doll. Um, so they actually paid tribute to her. It was about two, maybe three years ago. And I have the Roman holiday one, but not the Sabrina one. Cause it was a little more pricey. So, okay. I mean, that's the other thing we, we I, I can't, it's hard for me to speak to this cause I just, this is not my world, but I mean, on top of Audrey Hepburn's absurd good looks, she uh-huh. dressed, she was always dressed beautifully. I mean, she is like yes. still to this day, a fashion icon. Uh, which Absolutely. Is, uh, you know, beyond, I mean, even, even again, someone with my sort of, you know, unf- I'm unfamiliar with that kind of stuff. You look every scene in this movie, she looks fantastic. She just, she wears clothes beautifully. I mean, every outfit, she yes. just looks smashing. Absolutely. I mean, she was, you know, the big pleated skirts and everything that were so in style in the early 50s, which actually was in response to everything. After World War II, you know, you had all of everybody scrimping and saving and everything else that everything went to the war effort as as possible so that after the war, these women had these opulent outfits with these huge layers and pleats and yards of fabric. And they, I mean, they were just gorgeous works of art. And Audrey Hepburn was the perfect model for that. I'm guessing that when you're that when you're that size, it helps being a model because she was so tiny. Yeah, she was exactly. Yeah, I mean she was, and just... she was, you know, she was relatively flat chested, so everything fit her well. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, I mean it's one of those things, and that's another thing. I mean, Audrey Hepburn, she is not this big bosomed, wide hipped bombshell. She is classically. Grace on foot. I mean, she is regal, and you just respect her. I mean, it is one of those things. I respect her not only as an actress, but as a fellow woman. You're just like, okay, this is the. She has this regal bearing that you're like, okay, if I can speak like that and <laughs> walk like that, there you go. So, when uh, a couple of uh, months ago, maybe it was even last year, um, they showed Breakfast at Tiffany's on the big screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tracy and I went to go see it. And there was, in the front row, was a group of six or seven women. And they looked like they were a little liquored up. And they all were wearing tiaras. Oh. <laughs> and it, it felt like this is like some sort of secretive Audrey Hepburn club that, that, that comes out for these movies. And they seemed to be having a very good time during Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, yeah, probably so. I mean, you have to think about it. I mean, she is not only a fashion icon, but, you know, she is the face of Tiffany's. I mean, you see that so much now, of course. And then she was in the songs and, you know, paid tribute to in song. She's been, so many people have written theses about Audrey Hepburn and her work you know, as far as masters and doctoral thesis is her importance to filmography. Um, breath, excuse me, not breakfast activities, but, um, Roman holiday was picked as one of 100 films to be preserved by the Smithsonian as being a film of note of the 20th century. So yeah, it's one of the major 100. So, and I can totally see why. 
Yeah, it completely fits there. And you know, it's funny. You get when you watch Audrey Hepburn, it's you really get the feeling like life for her is sort of just rolling off a log. It just seems everything seems sort of effortless. Which, as you know, you just you detailed about her early life was very difficult. Uh, I mean, part of the reason that she was so small is that she didn't eat much. You know, when she was younger, right. because of the because of the war, she literally had to scrap to survive, and that that contributed to her tiny frame. She didn't get to grow when she normally right. would have, and yet you see her on film, and even in movies where it's a murder mystery like Charade or uh, How to Steal a Million, she's in that film. You just get the sense it's light, or even Wait Until Dark, where which is a thriller about her being uh, menaced by a bunch of goons. She's a blind woman menaced by a bunch of crooks. Like it just. Life just seems sort of everything's graceful, great, easy, you know. And there, I think there's a uh-huh. sort of, for some reason, with her, you don't resent her as you would maybe with some other people who looks like their life is easy. You just you want to be her, you know. Or and, and even as a guy, you're kind of like, boy, she's probably a lot of fun to be around because everything's just great. Everything's just you know, <laughs> like everything's just wonderful. She knows a bunch of fabulous people. She can get you into anywhere. She just has that. I mean, it's that movie star charisma that is often attributed to a lot of people, but very few actual mm-hmm. people actually act. have it. Right. I mean, you get the you get the notion that not only is she regal in her films, but you know, as an, her work shows as an ambassador later on in her life and everything else, she used her presence for her works, you know, and it's, it's just, you think, Hey, she would, she would be not necessarily what I would consider fun to be around. I mean, for me, I would be thinking this would be someone I would want to act like mm-hmm. more of a role model. So do you think that's why she remains so powerful an image to, to a lot of women? Is that because of that? Did she, she kind of, there's no downside to Audrey Hepburn, really. You never heard it. You know what I mean? Like you never heard anything bad about her. You never heard, I, I feel like you just, you know, you would just be like, yeah, that's, that's somebody whose life sounds really good. And uh, that's who you aspire to be. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's one of those things. I also wonder, you know, she was, um, Married and divorced twice, and then had um, other partners later in years. And then now her last partner she stayed with for about 15, 16 years up until her death. But, yeah, I always kind of wonder, I mean, this is just, you know, one of those things. It could have been all of the husband's faults, but it's also (laughs) one of those things. And this is an adage that Chris says, it doesn't matter how hot a woman is. Somewhere, some some guy's tired of putting up with her crap. So I wonder. <laughs> He's a wise man. I mean, I wonder. You know, you think about you know with Jim, for instance, movie stars of that time. Jimmy Stewart, he had a relationship that lasted his entire life. He was married to the same woman. You have Gregory Peck. He was married twice. His second marriage lasted, you know, umpteen million years. I wonder why her marriages didn't last, especially when she had such a devotion to her children that she turned down movie roles. Mm. So it makes me wonder, did she not choose her husband's or the men in her life wisely? Or was it something that they didn't like how it was or could they not live up to that image that they had of her or you know i always wonder about their private lives as well so yeah yeah it could be that uh, you 
nobody can live up to that. And, you know, once you meet the real Audrey Hepburn, and maybe there was something, you know, in real life that was a little more difficult to take or whatever. But, yeah, uh, I mean, she exudes just everything about it. When you think of a movie star, that's she mm-hmm. exudes this. This is and it said this is she did. She went on to do, a, you know, a bunch of great performances, but she is just so terrific here. She absolutely deserved the Oscar. I don't know who else she was competing Absolutely. with, but she's, she's fantastic in this movie. I mean, she, she fills the space. She fills the space. And, and to be on the screen with Gregory Peck, uh, that had, could not have been easy. Because, I mean, he's Gregory Peck. He, he, he's no slouch. Exactly. One of the I great mean, movie stars of all time. And you got to think about it. I mean, she goes into that, okay, Gregory Peck's the star. This is the way it is. I'm basically an unknown commodity. And he let me be co-star, you know, get co-billing with him. I mean, how, I mean, my goodness. And I mean, but she is, she is so regal and so beautiful. And I mean, I hope that my idea that I have of her is actually how she was in real life. I just hope that. (laughs) (laughs) And how she presented herself. That's one of those things you don't want, you know, the role model that you have in your head to not live up to that. And I certainly hope she did. So, yeah. Uh, now, the one final thing I do want to mention for your wrap up here is, as we mentioned early on, uh, this movie won an Oscar for Dalton Trumbo for the screenplay, but he could not collect it mm-hmm. because he was not listed as the writer. He, he, uh, he had a front mm-hmm. listed for him, which was uh, Ian McClellan Hunter, and uh, he ended up getting awarded the screenplay, and poor Dalton Trumbo had to just watch the Oscars from home as somebody else collected his Oscar for him. But years later, after that all got sorted out, uh, Dalton Trumbo got his Oscar, and he got his name put back on the movie. And it is one of the few times that I will uh, – I am, I am totally not a fan of futzing with movies after the fact. I feel like you should right. – the movie, the movie was the movie was the movie. Leave it alone. You know, Han shot first, whatever. Just leave it alone. But basically, <laughs> basically all prints – that you're ever going to see of uh, Roman Holiday, including the one that's on Netflix, which is it's on Netflix now, so you can watch it for free, everybody. Uh, it is. Yes. Gone, they've gone back and put Dalton Trumbo's name back on the film, which I think is only fitting because he wrote the damn movie and he deserves credit. And so he, he went back and got his Oscar, and his name is on the movie again, which is is, is terrific as as it should be because he wrote it. The only bad thing is, is he did not, he himself was not able to receive that Oscar. It was received by his wife posthumously. Right. Yeah. Cause he died in the mid seventies. So, but, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and that was not, he w- was not given the Oscar until I believe it was in the two thousands, early two thousands, something like that. Yeah. There's all sorts of complicated, but I mean, it's every time I remember when I saw it in the theater, and then his name came up, there was like the smattering of applause in the theater. Cause there were some people that knew, Hey, I'm glad I'm seeing Dalton Trumbo's name on this screenplay because he wrote the movie and he deserves to get credit for it. Exactly. And, you know, like I said, and it just worked out for everybody. And this was a, yet another great film in William Wyler's career. The guy just directed so many, many great movies. And this is just one of, of, of many in, a, in an amazing career. And it's just worked out for everybody. So um, is there anything else we want to talk about with this movie before we sign off, Cindy? Um, just the fact that I'm so glad that it was in black and white and not Technicolor because it makes it timeless. I mean, there's one thing with 
say the quiet man, it is in Technicolor and it works and it's because of the vividness, but there's something about Roman holiday with it being in black and white that does make this timeless. And the fact that when I saw this movie and saw the Vespa scooter, I wanted one so badly. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted apparently, to the streets yeah, of the apparently sales really took off after this, after this movie. Of the Vespa scooter because they they look like they're so much fun. I mean they just look. I mean she's she's riding on the handlebars at one point. It just looks like a blast, mm-hmm. a total blast. So, um, so okay. Well, I'm then. trying to track one down for my Barbie so that I can put my, my little Roman holiday Audrey Hepburn Barbie <laughs> on the little Vespa scooter, but I haven't found one yet. They made them, but I just haven't found one for a price I'm willing to pay. So interesting. Okay. Do they not have a Ken Gregory Peck to go with it? They do not. They do not. I mean, it's always one of those things whenever you do a pop culture, you have to worry about the estate. And then if it's after the fact and, you know, and interestingly enough, the way with her estate, the way that worked, the last few films that Audrey Hepburn did, she donated her the entirety of her salary to charity. And with the Barbies, it was in her will that if her likeness was used that the money went to charities as well. So the money that uh, Mattel paid for her likeness to make the Roman Holiday Barbie to make the Sabrina doll went to charity. Wow. And that was after the fact. Yes. Yes, wow. yes, yes. It was That was in her will that if her likeness was used, that the money was to go to charity. And for whatever reason, I cannot think of the name of the charity off the tip of my tongue, but I do know that the money was to go to charity for her likeness. Jeez. They don't make them like that anymore. No, they do not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so that's Roman Holiday. Anybody that hasn't seen it, you should go see it. As I mentioned, it's on Netflix, and it's one of the few classic movies Netflix kind of has. So go, mm-hmm. go watch it. It's I, I put it on again the other day just to refresh my memory, and it was it's just effortless. It's just like a... So it's just like a cool drink on a hot day. It's just a wonderful, wonderful movie, and uh, I guarantee you will enjoy it. So, Cindy, thank you so much for coming on the show and to talk about this. This was terrific. Thank you so much for the invitation. All right. So where can people find you and Chris on the Internet? Oh, you had to bring him up. This is about me today. (laughs) Where can people find you on the Internet, Yes, I host a co-host a show. I'll, I'll say co-host <laughs> a show there, Cindy. <laughs> uh, with my husband Chris um, called Supermates, and you can find us on the Fire and Water Network, along with, of course, Rob and Ryan and Shag and all of the good guys there. So, absolutely, yes, you can find us all over on Fire and Water podcast.com just so you can find this show and if you want to send us a message you can use the contact form or you can find us on twitter at film and water pod and you can also find uh, supermates over on twitter which is i believe at supermates pod i think is i think that's your twitter handle yes yeah there we go so you can find yes. that find the show go follow that show too as well it's it's terrific we love it and we all love being a part of the network so cindy thank you so much for doing it i really appreciate it i love talking about this movie and it was great to have you on finally Well, yes, thank you so much, and hopefully we'll do it again sometime, and we're going to be discussing more film um, on our show. A House of Frankenstein will be coming up very soon, coming in September, so be sure to watch out for that. I love the House of Frankenstein. I love that stuff. It's awesome. So, all right, everybody, thanks so much for listening, and until until we see you next week, uh, that's a wrap. Why don't you take a little time for yourself? Maybe another hour. Live dangerously. Take the whole day. I could do some of the things I've always wanted to. 
Like what? Oh, you can't imagine. I'd, I'd like to do just whatever I like the whole day long. Things <laughs> like having your hair cut, eating gelato. Yes, and I'd, I'd like to sit at a sidewalk cafe and look in shop windows, walk in the rain, have fun and maybe some excitement. Doesn't mean much to you, does it? It's great. Tell you what, why don't we do all those things? Together. But don't you have to work? Work? Now. Today is going to be a holiday. But you don't want to do a lot of silly things. Don't I? First wish, one sidewalk cafe coming right up. 